0: welcome to What Goes Around. I'm Eamon Murtar,
1: And I'm Deb Grant, former Frankenstein.
0: Indeed, and I'm just about getting used to that now. And this week, I spent a good eight hours plus watching blissful music documentaries. And Anne went to the cinema and saw a few too. Who's Anne? Oh, shit. You did
1: it again. (laughs) And now you've sworn in the intro. Just keep going, keep going. It only gets better from here. This week, we spoke to the incredible Manchester Hip Hop Archive, a brilliant organisation working to collect and collate artifacts and stories of the movement in Manchester.
0: And speaking of DJs, we spoke to the incredible Jaguar Skills, who is a brilliant bloke to chat to about music. And he shares all of his memories about making his way through the music business one photocopy at a time during the 90s.
1: And I love how he talks about how he only got into the music business to get free records, a man after our own hearts.
0: Absolutely. I'm, I think I'm going to try that, actually. I'm going to start my own <laughs> magazine.
1: It's too late for us. All right, well, but shall we pod?
0: Let's carry on podding.
1: Send us some free records if you like the podcast. <laughs> yeah,
0: send us free records, you bastards. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: Eamon hey, Marita. I already know the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. <laughs> what goes around?
0: <laughs> well, it wouldn't be series three without me banging on about a music documentary. There we go. There we go. You knew it's coming. Mm-hmm. You knew it's coming. This is what I do with my life, mm-hmm. and I'm quite happy about it. And this one. Is a biggie and a lot of people are talking about it right now. It's The Beatles Get Back by Mm. Peter Jackson. Have you seen any of it yet?
1: I haven't, I'm saving it up. I feel like it's, I need to barricade myself indoors, get a hot water bottle get a bucket of tea and just sit down and inhale it all.
0: You'll need some food as well because it's long. <laughs> How long is it? How
1: many episodes? It's,
0: it's nearly eight hours. Shit. It's a lot of, of, of chat. It's long. like, essentially, it's like the biggest, best edition of Big Brother that has ever been filmed. <laughs> you know, it's like Big Brother, but instead of like, you know, some eejits from Crawley or whatever, you know, chatting about whether it's right or wrong to wee in the shower... Um, It's like the Beatles making a record. Does
1: anyone get naked though? That's the only reason we ever watch Big Brother, isn't it?
0: I know it was around that time (laughs) that uh, John and Yoko did the Two Virgins album. So they (laughs) they had recently been naked.
1: Okay, good enough. Yeah. yeah. (laughs)
0: There's some brilliant clothes in it as well. Oh my God. Just because you see these pictures from the sort of late days of the Beatles and they're nearly always black and white. Mm. And to see them moving around in full colour, John Lee's bright purple T-shirt or his granddad's shirt with rainbow stripes down it and, you know, big furry coats and amazing... Uh, George Harrison's got some boots to die for. Really? It, really, it's, a, it's an amazing little time capsule. There are two reviews I can do for it. One is, oh my God, this is long and boring. There's about three interesting things that happen. Oh, you wouldn't like this, don't bother, you know, and a lot of people will feel like that,
1: making you know, it sound but, quite tedious, yeah
0: yeah well, you know in a way it is this is this is eight hours of you know four guys and a few hangers on sitting around in the studio they've I mean the whole premise of the film is mental they 've got fourteen days to write. And record a whole album, and then they're going to do a show, their first show in five, six years or something. Mm. It is the most bonkers thing you can imagine. They haven't got the songs. You know, they got, they've got, like, little sketches of stuff. But they literally finished the album, Let It Be, and write half of Abbey Road during the filming of this thing. I think Peter Jackson went through something like a 105 hours of, of material.
1: Keepers.
0: And it's... Because the cameras are on so much, it's... It, it's candid. And also because I don't think at that time people were really aware. You'd never have thought in 1969 that anyone would want to sit there and just watch you smoke some cigarettes and talk about blah, blah, blah. And, you know, let's go get some tea. And, oh, is John in yet? No, he's, he's sleeping in Like You know, you just imagine that that would all go and they just cut to the bit where you're playing the guitars. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And the result of it is that you have just a window into these incredibly famous people and this really is how you've never seen them you know this is this is like um the veneer is gone and i'm pleased to say the original cut of of the letter b documentary was quite a miserable thing which kind of just played up all of the the arguments and annoyances but one of the wonderful things about peter jackson's cut which was supposed to be a film to begin with but then he i think they got into lockdown and he had time on his hands, <laughs> and, so, and he sat in his pants and, and started editing uh, and drinking drinking coffee, and he's ended up with these eight hours. You, it gives everything time to breathe. So mm. if you're interested in in the Beatles, or if you're just interested in how songs are written and how bands actually get that creative spark, then this film is priceless.
1: Mm. I suppose when, yeah, I mean, in the case of Let It Be, I suppose it's always tempting with the music documentary... Especially if you're kind of, you know, you have to cram it into 90 minutes or whatever. It's like you have to create a narrative. And I suppose it was very tempting to just turn it into, oh, conflict. That's the narrative. You know, especially because that's what everyone thinks of when they think of the end of The Beatles. You know, tension with Yoko and John and Paul falling out and all that kind of thing. And actually, yeah, I mean, how refreshing to have something that doesn't force a narrative. I mean, like you say, some people might find it quite tedious because some people need that kind of narrative arc. But yeah, just as a close-up of the creative process, it sounds delicious.
0: And this is the thing as well, actually, and I think this is really, really important, is that, like I say, the, the initial view that people had, the previous view of this period of the Beatles, was them not getting on, Yoko's there, Yoko's a problem, everything's miserable, George's getting... And actually, when you watch all this footage, they were having a laugh most of the time. The, the songs come out of play. Mm. And I think that's a really important thing that these these guys knew each other inside out, maybe too well, but they could still play together. And I don't mean play their instruments. I mean half the film is them doing silly cover versions of songs they liked or <laughs> or doing weird referencing to their previous material. They were just having a laugh and and being creative in the mm. truest sense. And I don't think you get that. I think with the with the previous like sort of things I've seen from this period, it, you imagine it all just being very staid and coming. Like, I mean, I've written this song and it's fully formed and let's play this and we we'll rehearse it miserably because mm. we're not getting on. And actually, it couldn't be further from the truth. This mm. footage blows that wide apart because most of the film are four people being silly, playing, trying to make each other laugh, reading the newspaper, and, and jamming a song out of out of the, the headlines. You know, and then. In those moments where they feel free and happy enough, and they're they're in the right kind of headspace, suddenly magic appears. You know, mm-hmm. like suddenly he's right and get back. And there's a lovely moment where he they they, they kind of got the riff, and they they're starting on the lyrics, and this Jojo was a man, was a woman, uh, and then after about six or seven takes, he suddenly goes. Let's home in Tucson, Arizona, and just that one little line, that you know the the inclusion of the place name, Tucson, Arizona, mm. makes the first half of the song work, and suddenly they're off. Mm. Do you know and it is it's kind of a privilege to watch it. And I must say as well, there's a lot of Yoko haters out there. I think she's been done a great disservice.
2: Mm,
1: I love Yoko. But yeah, I mean, she has been used as this device to sort of signify the end of the Beatles, hasn't she? Which is so unfair.
0: Yeah, it really is. And there's a couple of really candid and interesting moments where um, John and Yoko aren't there. And I think George is still away. Uh, He he has a little sulk and leaves for a bit. (laughs) Um, But there's, you know, there's Paul and Ringo and Linda Eastman and, you know, Mal, they're sort of, you know handyman guy a few others just hanging around they're all chatting and they're, they're trying to say what, what's gone wrong and someone mentioned something about Yoko and Paul says a lovely thing where he just goes well, do you know they, they've just got together and they're really in love and they just want to be as close to each other as possible mm. and Yoko's really respectful you know it's going to be hilarious in 20 years time when people are looking back on this and say oh the Beatles split up because Yoko was sat in an amp you know <laughs> She's alright. She doesn't she doesn't try and get involved. They have a little jam at one stage where she does a bit of screaming, but it's obvious she's invited <laughs> into that. Yeah. Um But she's you know, she sits there by John's side. She doesn't get involved in trying to do things. She doesn't she doesn't mess it up. In fact, I would say there are two or three Harry Krishna guys who are sat. who are sat in who the Who brought river. them in, George? Well George Harrison was deep involved with all the Harry Krishna's. And obviously these you know, a couple of them said, can we come along? So Yoko gets the stick, but she was actually going out with someone in the band. Yeah, and yeah, she was yeah. just she's basically just turning up at rehearsal with her boyfriend but there's these two, two yogi guys sat in the corner with their heads shaved, you know, rocking backwards and forwards, going Omani Padre in their heads, and you know, and no one mentions that. That is much more distracting than someone's <laughs> girlfriend sat in a lamp. Do you know what I mean? Why are they there? That's and they're there for really. hours and oh, hours. Oh man,
1: I'd be so pissed off if I was trying to make an album and someone invited to some my <laughs> Christmas. There's a
0: little really <laughs> bit where uh, um, one of the one of the tech guys goes to goes to ring goes. Uh, uh, are you into all this yogi stuff? And he goes, "Nah, not really. <laughs> <laughs> Just, and Ringo as well comes across as like, you know, every group needs that kind of um, stabilising, soak it all up guy. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And Ringo, he doesn't push an agenda. There's a point where, the, effe- effectively, um, George Harrison leaves the band. So the band splits up overnight. Mm. And the next day, <laughs> Ringo just shows up for work. He just, he just <laughs> like, like, no, it's, it's like, oh, is anyone here yet? <laughs> no. Remember we slept yesterday, John? Oh,
1: God, love him.
0: Uh, but it, listen, if you've got the patience and you you can sit down and and you have any interest at all in songwriting for sure sure, whether you like the Beatles or not if you just are interested in how things can get made that then you know take a life of their own and really last this documentary is beautiful Mm. you know
1: well I mean speaking of patients I went to see a couple of music documentaries a double bill in fact over the weekend because I am a big Jew And I thought I would kick off the start of Hanukkah, although this will probably be a little bit dated when it goes out. Thank you very much. Um, I thought I would go to the Jewish Cultural Center in Finchley, where they were Mm. showing this really wonderfully curated uh, day of music documentaries. Um, It was a double bill, Leonard Cohen's Bird on a Wire and um, a film called Silver Jew about David Berman of the Silver Jews. Oh yeah, he's um, an interesting guy, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. It was absolutely fascinating. First of all, I had never seen Bird on a Wire. It's not available to, to stream. Have you watched it?
0: No, no, I haven't. Oh, it's it's yeah. one of those things I've heard the name a million times mm. and I've never seen it. So it is like, it's like folklore. So tell me.
1: Yeah. So it was introduced. So Tony Palmer, um, who made the film and directed the film, was actually there to introduce it. And he told this really interesting. I mean, he's made all kinds of stuff, including uh, 200 Motels, the, the Frank Zappa movie. Um, oh, right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, he's made all kinds of interesting stuff. But essentially, he was given free free reign. He went on tour with Leonard, Leonard Cohen. hated touring. And uh, he was doing this tour of Europe to make money. Basically, his record label, I think, forced him out on the road. And Tony Palmer was invited to to go with them, And he literally, Tony Palmer said to the, you know, the crew beforehand, like, I don't want to do this unless I get access all areas. And he really, really does. Like, he literally has his camera poked in Leonard's face when Leonard is trying to crack on to this beautiful actress he meets. In like 10 <laughs> No one needs somewhere. that. No wonder <laughs>
0: Leonard wrote so many miserable songs. He's probably still fuming.
1: But he's literally, like, Leonard is literally like, so we go, we you want to go to, to lunch or get a drink? Sorry, it's quite hard to do this with a camera in my face. But do you <laughs> want to you want to go to lunch? Or, it's really funny. Yeah, there's this moment at the end where Leonard just gets so overwhelmed and he feels like he's not performing well enough and he's not a diva or anything. He seems really, really easygoing, but he just sort of says like, oh, it's not really happening for me tonight. He walks off stage, He has a shave, he sort of smokes a cigarette and is eventually persuaded to go back out on stage and plays and is just crying the whole way through the rest of his set. It's really moving. And there's this other bit where they're in Sweden or somewhere and their PA keeps exploding and a bunch of fans come backstage and they're like, oh, you should give us your, you you know, we want our money back. Leonard Cohen is physically giving out, you know, change from his pocket to these people and they're still ranting at him. It's just incredibly un unimaginably intimate it's just it, it's really it was it was amazing and then um silver Jew the david Berman film uh is basically about silver jews never Never toured, never went on tour. David Berman had drug problems and was an alcoholic. And then he cleaned up and sort of became much more committed to Judaism and decided for the first time ever that Silver Jews should go on tour. This is having been a band for at least 10 years, Mm. um, maybe even 15 years. So they go out on tour and... Mainly, it's about him going to Israel and sort of experiencing that. And he also has a bit of an emotional breakdown during the film as well. And it's particularly poignant because you can see that it makes him really happy being there. But obviously, you know, after the the film was made, I think it was made in like 2006. And after that, he had relapse and then um, committed suicide. Mm -hmm. So two very intense and beautiful documentaries. And I had a thoroughly, a thoroughly Jewish (laughs) <laughs> the weekend film experience my mum would be very proud all um, the
0: candles lit
1: yes exactly exactly but um but yeah so I think after that intense afternoon I'm very much ready to sit down and watch all eight hours of this Beatles documentary bring it on
0: yeah I mean if you if you enjoy that kind of intimacy in in a, a story being told then mm. Get Back is a, a real pleasure and uh, like I say it changes the way that you think about the Beatles, especially the end of the Beatles. It's certainly changed my mind. You realise that it isn't like a an easy to tell story. Actually, these are four people's lives. And then there's all these other people around the edge. And it's well worth your time. But, oh, my God, get the snacks in because it is long.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Always get the snacks in. Number one priority.
0: I like the way you work. Documentary roundup. That's our theme music. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> It's cheap Like <laughs> us As you may know, our Deb has been spending a lot of time up in Manchester with her new radio show on Six Music. And as a result, she's spent some time wandering around the streets of Manchester getting into the culture. And she recently visited the Manchester Hip Hop Archive, an amazing collection of music, fashion and ephemera dedicated to documenting the Manchester hip hop scene from the late 80s to the early 90s. We were lucky enough to talk to the two curators of the Manchester Hip-Hop Archive and found out some lovely and fascinating interesting facts about the scene.
3: God blimey, where's out north? Is,
4: is, that, is that on the Piccadilly huh? line then? God blimey. Now this is the killer speaking. Take this, brother. May it serve you well. Hey.
1: As uh, some of you listeners may know, Manchester has become my second home over the past year or so. I love it up there. And one of the last times I was up there visiting, I had the privilege of going to see an exhibition put on by the Manchester Hip Hop Archive, who I hadn't heard of before, but uh, I came to investigate some of the amazing work that they do. Uh, I thought it would be wonderful to get two members of the Archive, two people who work in the Archive, to come and talk to us, Trish Carter and Zach Turner of the Manchester Hip Hop Archive. Thank you both for being here.
2: Thank you for having us. Thank, Thank you.
1: Pleasure. So, Zach, let's start with you, because you're oh. one of the, the founders of the Archive. What brought you to, to found it? Why was it an important thing to to create and put together.
4: OK, so obviously Manchester, as a city, identifies as a sort of musical heritage city. A huge part of the city's youth culture, especially over the past 40 years, has, has never really been touched upon. So Manchester pre-Rave and after Rave were like two different, two different crowds and two different things. A lot of those people went into that, but the, the scene that they began with and the story that they began with has never really been told, so we we thought it was important as um, locations were changing, locations were disappearing, as as were people. We thought it was important to tell that story while the opportunity was still there. As you said, a lot of the DJs um,
0: they they transferred over very very quickly. So I know Stu Allen from uh, being an old Raver. Yeah. But before that, he was pretty at the centre. here and Piccadilly Radio, you know, they they, they championed hip hop really early on, didn't they?
4: Yeah they did. Mike Shaft, very early on with his Taking Care of Business show, Stu Allen a little bit later, obviously Greg Wilson was very important in those early days. Uh, He took Broken Glass, who were absolute pioneers in the UK. It was a handful of crews but Broken Glass were very early. He took them with him from Legend, to where he got his new residency at the hacienda and broken glass became the hacienda Dancers, and they toured that package called uh cuando quango and i think we, we have flyers in our uh, digital collection from some of those events
0: in those very early days it's very hard to get hold of the music itself and actually some of the first sort of green shoots of hip-hop in this country were were written on walls, weren't
4: they? Yeah, sure. Um, 3D from Massive Attack from Bristol was was one of the first guys, And, and Goldie, obviously. There was very early graffiti in Manchester, very primitive graffiti. Electro in sort of jagged electro letters and pictures of ghetto blasters with guys body popping. These were the kind of things that you'd seen before Books like Subway Art were released, which was 1984, and Style Wars was shown on Channel 4. That, of course, built into a scene as soon as information from New York, the books and the films were available. And partly why the the whole thing came to the UK and Europe as the entire package that it was, was the way that it had been put together in these films and books. And that breakdance and graffiti and scratch DJing and Rapping, we're all all part of this thing called hip-hop.
1: Trish, can you talk to us a little bit about what the archive actually contains, physically and digitally, and sort of what the process was of of collecting some of the stuff that you have in the actual archive?
2: Yeah, definitely. I think Zach uh, will probably say the same as well, but we've managed to get such a beautiful collection and a real mix Within the archive, so we've got things from flyers to photographs to fashion items. So we've got nice kind of jackets and t-shirts that tell a story about the history. We've got records. We've got we've got these really lovely pieces that we've just been looking through this week that are connected actually to ruthless rap assassins, which were all forming part of kind of like a little zine that was made at the time and kind of a bit of a newsletter. But we've yeah we've really managed to get such a lovely collection that tries to tell the story of everyone's hip-hop journey through Manchester because what we was very very passionate about and wanted to kind of make sure the archive does was not just tell one story of hip-hop within Manchester we wanted to make sure that it captured everyone's story and everyone's everyone's kind of way into it if if that makes sense Mm. and how different people came came to see the hip-hop evolve in, in Manchester. Once people started hearing about the archive, people naturally wanted to get involved and either loan things to us as part of the exhibition which we did at Central Library or wanted to donate something so that we could preserve that as part of history. So, for example, yeah, the Ruthless Rap Assassins collection that we've been looking through that also features things from Kiss AMC was donated by Greg Wilson and we've been cataloguing a lot of that over the last couple of weeks. And it's been lovely to to go through that and see, yeah, see how it... See how hip-hop developed through Manchester and see the different things that were coming out of the scene.
1: Yeah, like, I, I really got that feeling walking through the exhibition. Like, it really is telling the the people's story. Like, even from, like, you yeah. know, an, an evidence bag full of, like, um, you know, marker pens to, like, someone's fake Gucci Dabra Dan t-shirt to all of these amazing... <laughs> to, like, earrings and then all of these amazing, mm-hmm. like, pirate radio cassette tapes and stuff. You can really feel... Um, I don't know, it's just very grassroots. It just gives you a real feeling of what it would have been like to be a person involved in that. Scene. Can you talk to us a little bit about the pirate radio scene uh, and how it how it plays into Manchester's hip hop history?
2: It was a really important thing that we wanted to involve in part of the collection. The pirate radios was just a way of putting that message out there and kind of forming again like a bit of a hip hop community where there previously wasn't one in Manchester.
0: The, this scene comes out of really being ignored and, and and not getting the the airplay anywhere. So people were doing it themselves. They were they were setting up their own little groups. The, the flyers and the graffiti and all that these were like real local micro industry things weren't they you know the, the, a flyer is is drawn by hand and then photocopied a hundred times and then handed out who knows how many of those survived so I think it's really good that they, you found a place to save some of these they must be you know they're quite fragile little moments of history aren't they
2: the same was definitely for um yeah things that we had throughout the archive as well kind of cassette tapes and mixed CDs we really wanted to make sure that those featured quite heavily throughout the exhibition and um, again for mixtapes specifically I guess in that sharing thing of when we weren't hearing it on the radio or we weren't hearing it on the mainstream radios it was the way that people were connecting and sharing music you know not even necessarily from city to city but even beyond that kind of thing and and the same for the mixed CDs that we had featured on one of the back walls we really wanted to make sure that we captured that essence of people selling kind of DIY CDs out on Market Street and trying to get that DIY roots in there where you know if records labels weren't picking up the music we're going to put it out ourselves Um, so we had a whole wall kind of dedicated to local Manchester artists that had done done just that.
1: I'm really curious because I know you guys work with school groups and obviously, I mean, I mentioned before, like, for example, in the exhibition, you have the evidence bag with the marker pens in it. Obviously, oh. at at the time, like this wouldn't have been a movement, let's say, that maybe... Um, police would have been particularly fond of or like people's parents would have thought was a particularly wholesome thing how are you able to sort of channel that and change the perspective you know in a way that means you're communicating to school groups and younger people like this is an important and good part of our history how do you sort of turn that around
2: no it's funny you should say that because I think we definitely was met with that initial hesitation when we approached schools (laughs) to look at kind of doing some kind of hip-hop curriculum within them I think there was there's this fear of like, you know, I guess all the negative stereotypes that come with hip hop of like, ah, we were gonna maybe be looking at gang violence or crime or all those negative uh, terms that get get attached to hip hop. and actually, once we spoke to teachers, said like it's so much more about more than that. It's about community and identity and belonging and heritage. I think we managed to slowly but surely get through to them. But yeah, there was that initial hesitation from a couple of schools within Manchester.
0: It's interesting that uh, you can draw these lines back all the way back to you know the first bits of graffiti and stuff. Um, But this this is still you know you you're not looking at something that is dead and gone. This isn't like dinosaurs because hip-hop is very, very much alive and well now in Manchester and, you know, really a, a global thing now. You've got some really impressive artists that are sort of carrying the torch forward. The foundations that you see back from the 80s are actually really coming to a lot of fruition now.
4: It's really nice as well that those building blocks from the early 1980s are, are being recognised for how important they were, not only to what has happened through hip-hop into, you know, where we are now with the grime and the trap and all that kind of stuff but the other sort of shoot-offs over the years that that have come out of hip-hop including all, all the years through the 90s where you had Fat City and Grand Central and all the DJs an artist associated with those labels and those record shops, having a completely different take on it to what was going on in the 80s, but, but still keeping it mixed and club friendly and uh, still hip-hop being danceable, you know? So are all of these, um, these things, they're
0: obviously at the exhibition itself, mm. uh, Will there be a presence online? Will people around the country be able to to see some of the the graffiti or hear some of these mixes? What, any plans for
4: that?
2: Yeah, definitely. So we, there's a few few exciting projects coming out of the Hip Hop Archive. Hopefully, over the next couple of years. So yeah, there's definitely more to come from the Hip Hop Archive. And if you've missed it in person, don't worry. There'll be definitely things to come.
0: I really look forward to Thank visiting you. digitally. Yeah, and uh, keep <laughs> doing what you do. Great work. Thanks for having
1: us. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Thank
2: for you. Thanks, Thanks for having. us
1: Thanks a lot. I bet you think you're pretty smart, huh? I, bet, I, bet, I bet you think you're pretty smart, huh? I bet you think you're pretty smart, huh? Think you get think, think, think you get Thank you for your cooperation.
3: What we gonna what we gonna what we
0: gonna do right here is go back. Way back. Back into time.
1: Today's guest is an award-winning DJ, producer, label boss and crate digger. Famous for his cut and paste style mixes and broad music knowledge, he arrived on the scene creating a mixtape on two mini Sony Walkmans or Walkmen. Uh, for the fashion label Maharishi and has gone from strength to strength since then producing and remixing artists like Lupe Fiasco making radio shows for Capital FM and Radio One playing legendary live shows releasing his own music of course and most recently a link up with soul legend Omar And setting up his own record label, Nope23, all while keeping his true identity under wraps. We are so thrilled to have him sharing his phonographic memories with us today. Welcome to the podcast, Jaguar Skills.
3: Hello, how are you doing?
1: (laughs) Good to have you here. Was everything correct? All present and correct in that intro?
3: That seemed, that seemed, yeah, that seemed present and correct.
1: (laughs) Good. It's hard hard to cover everything, everything, but that was like a potted, a potted history. Yeah, yeah. Wow.
3: Yeah. How fun! Yeah. Um,
1: <laughs> thank you for for being here. Is it weird oh, having pleasure. having all of well having some of the stuff you've done listed back at you like that? Because you have had a pretty sprawling career so far.
3: Right, right. Yeah. I mean, it is. Yeah. No one's ever never done it so well. That was brilliant.
1: Do you hear that, Amy? Yeah. i,
3: I've, I yeah. I, I, hear I've got, um, I hear. I'd forgotten. Uh, <laughs> half of those things
1: really <laughs>
3: <laughs> label boss that sounds cool when you yeah, said you that said... I, th- I, I thought "Ooh, that sounds wicked
1: that's a recent thing right <laughs> tell us about yeah about, uh, about the record label number nope 23
3: right well it was over lockdown and i didn't want to make any banging drum and bass or house or anything like that or any hip-hop really mm. and I started just to make soul music and the, the sort of samples that I like to the, the basically I started making the music that I sample really mm-hmm. in in my stuff and got a band together cuz no one was doing anything so it was pretty easy I, I it was actually quite easy to get this all-star band together so I had um Nigel Rivers from uh, Erica Badu's band, and Simon Katz from wow. Chimera Kwai, and um, mm. I had uh, Bill Ware from Steely Dan, and we had whoa, uh, <laughs> like like yeah, like uh, uh, who else? Oh, there was a bunch, and, and there's just a, the whole bunch I got together, and we started making, um, we started sort of remaking beats that I had made, but. By the sort of virtue, you've got like a horn section who are really amazing. Mm. They started playing mm. some other stuff, you know. So yeah. basically my sort of rubbish demos turned into these amazing tunes. And, um, and it was really interesting how, it was, how all the stuff was made, you know, just totally no, one's, no one met. So it, mm. it was all remotely and, and, and sort of piecing it together was a sort of like old-school producer. I felt like an old-school sort of Quincy Jones almost, yeah. <laughs> putting together, getting all these amazing parts, you know.
1: An arranger.
3: Well, that, well and that's why I, I started the label, really, um, to put all of this sort of music out.
1: Does that... I know we touched on this uh, when I spoke to you recently, but... Being able to do that, has that changed your perspective on crate digging? Because obviously having that background, you're always looking for the perfect break or the perfect little horn section or whatever, but now you have the power to do that yourself.
3: Right. That's totally changed the game. Mm. Like even, you know, how long have we all been listening to music? Like forever, right? and, and, And even now I'm listening to songs. Now, even in the last year and a half, i'm now listening to records with a different ear you know i'm I'm listening to oh you know to the arrangement of the horn section in a in a totally different way mm. because there's maybe 18 players on that one bit you know it, just my understanding of music has has, mm. has just expanded so much since i've been working with this and 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 yeah and that's the amazing thing like being able to go uh you know what, I could actually make that. I've got the ability to make, obviously not make these, like (laughs) some of the tunes that I'm listening to, but at least like technically I can now make that. And that's just opened it up so much. I mean, it's just, it's it's a real gift that that I got from lockdown, you know?
0: Well, I, I love the way when you started uh, telling us about that, it was all kind of like, yeah, I kind of got a band together, and I was like, oh, yeah, Jim and Dave from down the road, and and then you wheel out that list of names. I'm like, okay, mate, right, that's, <laughs> right. that's, that's 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 more than just you know, let's let's have a knockabout in the garage. That's that they're they're proper musicians you've got going on there. How did you well, manage to entice everyone into the project?
3: Well, the funny thing is, is that as I never really used any. Um, Live musicians in any of my music ever. Hmm. These guys are like my friends, who I'd never, who are you know, who'd come to my gigs and we'd hang out and, and I've known a lot of these guys for 20, 20 years or so, but never even hmm. approached them to say, "Hey, do you want to play some stuff?" I, hmm. I, I, I never thought I, I was at that level to even really talk to them about that. So yeah, we so laid talki- the groundwork. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> So when I, so basically when I approached them, they were like, "Yeah, Matt, Matt we're not doing anything. It <laughs> would be brilliant wedding. to do. Yeah, yeah, would be brilliant to do something. <laughs> Fabulous.
1: Can we wind the clock back because you kind of cut your teeth playing in in Dalston, um, at Jaguar Shoes, legendary uh, venue. Eamon, right. until recently lived in Hackney. I still live in Hackney, so <laughs> yeah. Oh um, wow. Yeah, got my roots there as well. Um, yeah. But what led up to that? I mean, presumably you were kind of—were you a bedroom DJ up until that point? What was your musical sort of background prior to that? Well,
3: well, before that, in the so basically, so in the nineties, I was uh, I was publishing music magazines. So, uh, really young, like a weirdo, like a weird teenage <laughs> kid. Book, yeah. But but basically, somehow managed to publish a magazine and 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 and, um managed to meet everyone who i was listening to at the time so it was a hip-hop magazine and i managed to meet everyone from oh really everyone in the 90s um and and because hip-hop really wasn't as big as it is now and it wasn't as uh just wasn't as huge i I ended up you know i met jay-z three or four times when he came to england but just as before really anyone really kind of knew him and, and Eminem or two and Snoop. Like basically anyone who came to the UK, uh, a lot of the press officers and the, and the labels, they were really hungry for anyone writing about any rap people. So I had this like fanzine, but it kind of grew a bit bigger. But uh, after I stopped doing that, I, I, would, I would always be working around with like uh rucksacker, like promos and tapes. <laughs> <laughs> from record companies, I'd, I'd runs, ransack their their, their uh, warehouses and, and storage facilities <laughs> like this little. It was mad. So, I, so and and even I was like the guy who some of the A would ask, um, "Have you heard that other? Have you heard like this guy on Sony? Have you got his album?" I'd be like, "Yeah, you swap me for the Ghostface Killer demos <laughs> or something," <laughs> and we'd be like. So I managed to get like Nas, Illmatic on a demo tape, uh, st- stuff like that. It was like really wild old hip hop stuff. And um, but when I stopped doing that, I got, I, I got this job near Dreambag's Jaguar shoes, and I'd always and I'd already come up with this weird named Jaguar skills as a sort of. I didn't want anyone to know my real name as a journalist, basically. Mm. <laughs> and I had all of these records, and I had all these records, and I stopped doing the magazine. I didn't know what to do, so I ended up basically. I found out that if you put, if you just recorded anything on a mini disc, and you track marked mm. it, and then you track marked it again instantly, and then you just pressed repeat, it looped it perfectly oh. like a yeah. like a drum machine. I don't know if anyone had worked that one out, but I got fascinated. <laughs> I, it's a lo fi skill. I like
0: it.
3: Yeah, yeah. I suddenly got fascinated with this thing. I started looping up all, everything that I had like a lunatic. And, and, and I got like another one, bought another one. And I started making these weird, like, mixed things with t- loops going, like jazz loops. And like, it was really weird. But mm. I was walking past Jaguar shoes and I went in and I gave the owner this tape that I made. And it was just. It just happened that I'd named myself Jaguar Skills like six months before, and this place was called Jaguar Shoes. <laughs> it just seemed to make sense. And he was like, Yeah, do you want to DJ here? You're a DJ, right? And because I had all these records, I was like, Yeah, 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 I'm a DJ. And so I managed to get a spot there, but that was the very first time I'd ever. Actually, gone on any decks? Wow! Was, I got the job because he well, just assumed. Yeah, he just assumed <laughs> that I was this like DJ guy with all these things and mini disc things, and all this funny shit. So um, yeah, so that's how that's how I got the gig there. Wow! And so I learned on the way, on on the job.
1: But that's like because if you were already doing the hip hop magazine and then you sort of got into doing that, did you have an ambition to work in music, sort of by hook or by crook? Were you did you know that that's what you wanted to do, or is it just? Um, did it just well, fall into place?
3: Well, I was, I was, my my dad was a um, radio producer and a DJ. Mm. So I always grew up in a house full of records, like f- mm. rand full of records. And I always wanted to get into film and stuff, really. I went to film school and stuff. But after that, I was spending so, I was spending a lot of money on records. And I figured that if, who gets free records? <laughs> and it was like, journalists get free records. I'd worked out journalists get free records after I tried to start this fake DJ agency <laughs> at, when I was in the sixth <laughs> form to get free records. Like, and we sent off a couple of things and we didn't, we couldn't get anything. But I figured my harebrained idea was if I made a magazine, right, and then just printed like 10 and then sent it to press officers, they'd assume that I had a magazine that was going, g- popping off and they'd send me promos. And I might think, yeah, but then my friend goes, well, why don't you sell the thing? And I hadn't even really <laughs> clocked on that. So we, <laughs> so he was like, uh, he was like, we'll put that in some record, I'll go and put this thing in this record store and let's see what happens. And then they sold out and it's just like from there. But Fabulous. like, it was really like, to, just to get free, just to get free records.
1: I love that. That is like <laughs> the, the purest, the purest motivation right. to um, get into the music business, get free records.
0: Yeah. And was this 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 must have been like the the golden age before everything came online, and all that. So you were probably, I mean, I'm just uh, supposing here, but I, I suppose you must have been, you know, down the photocopy shop, um, trying to yeah. trying to cut out bits and stick <laughs> them in into place yeah, and all yeah. that.
3: Yeah. This wow. was 93. So. Wow. Um, so yeah my my mum worked as a dinner lady in a in a a school right so she gave me the keys to the school late (laughs) night (laughs) and i went in there and i would use their photocopying machine for about six hours and, so, it's you took magazines. all the toner again, eh? <laughs> just, I was just destroyed. I was just, and the, whole, the thing I remember, it was just stinking and really hot. You know, the old school mm. sort yeah, of plasticky yeah, yeah. smell of these photocopiers. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. That, that was the really early days. And then I'd go back into the garage and, and sort of staple them together and then give them to my friend, and he'd drive off to uh, Soho and put them in a few stores.
0: Cool. I love it. I love it. Yeah. My mum my was a filing clerk, and I, I spent a lot of time making photocopied bits and bobs Uh, i I kind of i loved that uh, you know that age where you'd go into someone like sister ray or or any of the the big shops in soho and there'd just be this table full of really random magazines little fanzines that were made by people who just obsessed about whatever it was they're into and it might be you know it could be hip-hop could be some psychedelic thing whatever but it takes a certain mindset and a certain type of person to actually do all those physical jobs that you have to do to put right. that magazine on the counter. And, it, you right. know, you knew whoever was doing that was was really into what they were doing. And as a result, all of those kind of fanzine magazines, I always found that they gave you a better perspective on the art that was being discussed than a lot of the kind of more professional ones you might see in Enemy or Sounds or whatever. Yeah.
3: I mean, I miss those days of... of uh going into Tower, Tower Rec or any little mm. independent record store, but my one was Tower Records in Piccadilly, in Piccadilly. Mm. It, because mm. they ran every fanzine as well. And, and uh, the magazine racks were just brilliant, weren't they? Mm. Yeah, fabulous. Great days. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I loved all of that stuff. And, um, yeah, it, even getting to the point of, like, writing something in your magazine and then hearing... That tune maybe being played on the radio first, and you thinking, "Wow, like maybe I influenced that." That that happened a lot with in the early days.
1: I was just going to say, let's go back to to ninety three because that's the year I think that your first phonographic memory choice was released. Wow. Tribe Called Quest, yes. "Electric Relaxation." Talk to us about uh, this record.
3: I was a real tribe. I mean, Low End Theory, uh, the first album, "People's Instinctive Travels," and the yeah. and Low End Theory. That was the hip hop that I loved. That's what got me into it. Like, slightly before that was like Eric B and Rakim and Cool J and all of these sort of like big gold chain sort of uh, rappers. But then Della Soul and Tropical Quest and Jungle Brothers came out, and I just Mm -hmm. loved it. I loved it all. I loved the way because I think because my dad's record collection was so vast, and I managed to. You know, when I started to get into hip hop, I could go to his record collection and actually pull out the records they sampled. So yeah. it was that deep, and I I loved TV. I loved TV theme tunes and movie songs mm-hmm. and 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 and, and records, sound effect records. And he had all these BBC mm-hmm. sound effect records, and just I had a very eclectic sort of mind mindset really early on with music, as my dad did, and they sampled. All of that mad shit, you know, and put it together, and they weren't talking about. There was nothing I couldn't relate to, pretty much that they were saying. You know, no one's a big bad drug dealer or anything. They're just dudes at school, you know, worrying about how to. Like one, like there was this. I was listening to this tune from KMD, uh, MF Doom's early first group the other day, and one of their songs is about how they can't shave properly. (laughs) <laughs> and it was so sweet, and it was like this. Yeah. This is the, this is what I grew up listening to. This is the hip hop I like, mm. where they're just yeah. is literally just talking about everyday shit mm. over some really interesting samples. And Tribal Quest sort of got they're the best at that, mm. as yeah, uh, in my opinion. And they're v- everything's brilliant. Like Q Tip's voice is amazing, and and mm. so this came out on Midnight Marauders in england i could have been one of the first to even get it oh. and i was listening with my friend and we just when i first heard it i just started laughing at like it was i i get like an emotional i get really emotional when i hear music i don't know about you but like, it really like yeah. affects me and i think the older i get i'm in a right state when i listen to certain <laughs> songs okay. it can really like really affect me yeah you know one minute i'm yeah just loving life and the next minute I'm on the floor crying like I'm like what the, what's going on where did I put this tune on but um, yeah this one just made me laugh because it was just so so brilliant it's just so amazing and then I found out the samples uh, Mystic Brew which is amazing but you know even on a technical thing this is like a three bar loop which makes it even cooler uh, usually they're two or four but this is three and six and nine yeah. And uh, just adds a, adds a little something. Relax yourself,
1: help yourself, 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 to yourself, yourself, but yo, I gotta stop when you drop my weight If I was working at the club, you would not pay Ayo, my man Fight Diggy, he got something to say I like them brown, yellow, Puerto Rican, and Haitian mm. Name is Fight Boy from the Zulu Nation Told you in the jam that we could get down Now let's knock the boots like the group H-Town You got BBD all on your bedroom wall But I'm above the rim and this is how I bore. A gritty little something on the New York street This is how I represent over this here beat Talking about you Yo, I took you out perceptions on my mind for the whole damn route my mom was in a frenzy in a horny state but I couldn't drive down because you couldn't relate
0: that little period was I mean he literally was the golden age of hip-hop as everyone uh, uses that that term I'll use it as well but it was a nice. it was a glorious time because like you say i think the stuff that came before was often talking about things that you know they sounded cool but you couldn't really relate to it i mean i i was you know middle class white boy living in oxfordshire i didn't you know i right. wasn't wasn't really running guns or doing nothing like that you know so nice. it was all it was all a bit distant for me but then you had like Della soul and jungle brothers and triple quest especially those three they came along and and they they it was kind of more um, welcoming and more kind of like... Uh, I think they they record things so they sound much closer to you. Do you know what I mean? It's right. not a, a, not a guy in a gold chain shouting at the back. Well, it's like well, quite well, often Q-Tip yeah. will be like in your ear, just talking away. Do you know what I mean? And that conversational element to, to that kind of Daisy Age vibe really, I think, opened up
3: rap to a lot more people. I agree. But, but these guys, they they were suburban dudes as well. Yeah. You know, yeah. they just happened to be in New York. I found yeah. my
0: people. <laughs> <laughs>
3: you know, yeah, exactly. Like they, they, uh, they can't relate to, you know, selling drugs or whatever. And, and, and it was like, to me more real than all the, uh, all the stuff that preceded that was like a movie to me. It, it was like, mm, this was yeah, like yeah. a real thing. And, uh, and it seemed more um seemed brighter and more sort of uh, more uh, hopeful and just, just generally nicer and and also musically as well like taking records that were that hadn't been sampled mm. like weird little mickey mouse records with a drum break, break on them or just strange little sound effects from like even dela soul's first album that was a that was set out like a game show. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They've
0: literally only just got, you know, proper copyright clearance for everything so they can have it streaming again and all that sort of stuff. They took so many samples on that first album and just, you know... Uh, Pre-sample clearance. Tried, yeah, yeah, totally. And people like the Turtles, when they heard, you know, their their music being used, the better, they got angry. You know, they tried to take that shit down. So
3: it was... Uh, I know, and, and the funny thing is, the thing that took that album down was the turtle sample, right? That's the whole thing yeah, that put yeah. sample clearance into the into everything. But um, that was only for the weirdest... And know, this is like, like a throwaway the, skit, wasn't yeah, it?
1: Yeah, yeah. What the, the, the Battle of the Bands record, right? I'm King, come on, I want to... I love that. They're just like, this was a novelty record and it's going to stay a novelty record. <laughs> right, they were so
3: mad. But the, what De did, they had, they looped it and they just put this, like, how to learn French. Um, yeah record over the top of it and it's yeah. such a weird like they didn't the funny thing is they they probably didn't even think about that being the uh, the most <laughs> dangerous record to put on their on their album did they yeah. sample wise considering they had all the <laughs> other stuff then Michael Jackson Michael Jackson never came at them yeah. but this yeah. band <laughs> did
1: <laughs> the turtles oh, took they- themselves quite seriously though because I know those guys went on to join um, Frank Zappa's they were mm. in Mothers of Invention after that. And like obviously, Frank Zappa took that kind of stuff very seriously, too. so I don't know. It's how
3: weird. dare they
1: know. <laughs> That's how I feel. <laughs> Come on, man.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the tribal question, uh, you know, they're, they're sort of sample ethos. I mean, they are basically the reason why I've got a massive box full of completely random learn German <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: sort of right. records and typewriter records and I all sorts that, of crap.
3: I think that too. It's like Q Tips, like responsible for like millions of of nerds. <laughs> <laughs> like without without him, just randomly thinking, I'll just put this on. Like that spawned hundreds and thousands of nerdy people searching for the weirdest shit. Yeah, It's brilliant, really isn't it?
0: Yeah, it is, it's wonderful, absolutely brilliant.
1: Did that set the template then for Because, I mean, were you thinking about making your own music at that point? And, I mean, was A Tribe Called Quest, was that sort of a, something that made you feel like you, you could make music?
3: The, the cut and paste element of a lot of stuff that was going on at the time like um dela soul but then also bomb the Bass. um bomb the Bass had this album Uh, there was a lot of concept albums at the time it seems like in the late 80s early 90s public enemies albums the way that they put them together early ice cube records uh, nwa albums the way they put them together like a movie and really high level of production on the skits and just general sort of uh Thought about what records come after the sequencing of it to tell a story mm. or to tell some sort of um to paint a picture, you know. Mm. I, I when I listen to music, I, I get oh, it's really visual, <laughs> yeah, and uh. They just really took me to a world, you, you know, uh, you know, also later, later down the line, you know, stuff like Inner Vision, Stevie Wonder and stuff, just how, um, you know, what's that tune? You know, when he's going at the very start, he's in New York and it, the tune just oh, cuts it, and it's um, just for the city. Yeah. Yeah. And it just cu- And it just cuts into a little thing. And then the tune comes back in. I think that captured my mind. Mm-hmm. How how you can construct a sort of piece of music where I, I always, I, I I did love the way you had a continuous piece of music. That was probably the thing. And and so mm. probably when, when it came to sort of making mixtapes at the beginning, they were pause button mixtapes. So I wasn't ever using any decks or anything. So they were like pause button mixtapes. Mm. So they were probably you know i I would i would get like film soundtracks like like stuff from enter the dragon or some movie and then try and record that in whilst i'm looping another thing on a tape and playing (laughs) you know and then making these mad mad collages but yeah i think that yeah i think all of that probably got me into sort of cut and paste stuff i didn't really know anyone else was doing it i was just trying to copy trying to make sort of a Public Enemy album or something. I don't
0: know. <laughs> I think the um, the nineties were were just great for um, lots of different ways of sampling coming together. Do you know, like and it's interesting your your second choice. I contrast Racing Green. You know, that's a, a drum and bass track, and that whole um, sampling ethos then got got flipped again and made into a, another right. whole new style of music. Do you know, what I mean, where, where right. they were looping these really high speed brakes. and totally different to what was going on at the start of the '90s, but the the creativity that surrounded both that early um, sort of jazzy hip hop samples, and then you know mm. moving in through rave and drum and bass coming out and jungle and all that sort of stuff. These were they were just people like you or me, you like twiddling about, finding little things, flipping it, you know, and then seeing what they made. And it, it suddenly became so creative that all mm. these different styles of music came out. So. Tell us a little bit about your second choice.
3: When I was doing my magazine, the drum and bass died to, to be sent to me, basically, like mm-hmm. um, in the early 90s. And for me, it was the wor- it was anything that wasn't hip hop was just the worst. Like, um, <laughs> <laughs> it, and, uh, unless it was the sample that you've sampled it, and then that could be anything. But usually that's mm-hmm. something from the 70s down. And it's not electronic. I think I had an electronic electrophobe, electronical Mm. music phobia at that point. And so, you know, you know, you would pull up, and I would be listening to the Chronic Doctor Dre with my stupid hash joint with my friend. Right, (laughs) we're bobbing our heads. We're bobbing our heads to it in a in a in a field, you know, in the middle of nowhere. And then a car pulls up with, like, 20 people in it with no bass, with this thing going, you know, next to me. And I'm thinking, what the fuck is this shit? And and it's drum and bass, you know. And I hated it. And and I hated house, and I hated trance, I hated all of this stuff. And um, (laughs) it was only later on when I started... uh going to raves when all the raves started happening and, mm. you know, and I think it's drugs as well, to be honest, you know, yeah. once the ex- ex- <laughs> once ecstasy <the> ex- <laughs> arrived on the scene, you'd, I, I, um, I suddenly it was like a stupid sort of movie moment. Like, Oh yeah, I get it now. <laughs> yeah, I remember thinking, Oh no, I get it now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) In a a way, we were lucky that that's what came along because we probably would have liked any old shit they'd put in front of us.
3: Well, exactly. (laughs) No, but I mean, I was very, I I just didn't want to go to any raves. It was just Mm. like the worst for so long. Yeah. And then one of my friends was DJing and he used to be an old hip hop DJ and he took me to took me to fabric uh, when it first opened and there I realized Mm -hmm. what (laughs) the door because yeah because I was so into hip-hop right underground hip-hop firstly it was all all guys all really angry guys really moody clubs Mm -hmm. (laughs) there's no smiling there wasn't there was just everyone was so (laughs) hardcore (laughs) <laughs> and then I went to, I went to Fabric and my friend was DJing, and it was like, oh shit, there's everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> everyone else is here. And there's girls and there's guys, and everyone looks nice and they're smiling. And, and oh shit, he's played something a bit corny, but no one cares because everyone's having a great time. And oh shit, there's drummer bass. And with the bass line, suddenly hits, oh God. <laughs> well, I was, I was sitting on the corner looking at the bass bin and must have been looking for it for like an hour. I was looking <laughs> I remember looking directly at the basebin with the thing moving. Mm. Thinking, I'll get it. I get this. <laughs> I saw and then I saw him DJ and put his hands in the air and he put this tune on him and I thought I want to be that yeah, I need I to me. be that and then he left because I'd been like this bummy journalist for a million years like not, like there's no money in British underground hip hop basically right so yeah like I was trying out everything right and then and then I didn't even think that you could make any money from music. Because all the MCs I ever interviewed, every DJ I ever interviewed, they're broke. You know, you'd interview them in their mum's house in the, in the basement. And no one had a house or a car or anything. And so I left this club and he said, to my friend goes, um, I was driving him, right? That was the crazy thing. I'd, he'd asked me to dr- quickly drive him. So I drove him in my mum's mom, my like uh station of montego battered Montego. it was funny because he was the superstar dj and we pulled up in, <laughs> in this, the montego <laughs> in this massive like montego estate rusty montego <laughs> estate it's funny but um he left the guy gave him he left this office with this huge amount of money as well right mm. this, what a cash and he gave me some to drive and it was the most money i'd ever been paid Wow. just to drive him and that's well that was I'd be anything at the time but i was thinking sh- and you can get paid for this mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> like that's like the bone what this is an actual reality here so i guess this was like the start um of the sort of superstar dj era sort of like maybe like 1999 or mm. around that sort of that sort of time but that's what got me into drum and bass and and when i when i heard um racing green it just had this musicality to it mm. that i hadn't really heard before and it had this sort of vibe to it and um and i think it's perfect yeah you know? and yeah. and it doesn't and it transcends what the genre, it transcends the genre. It is just this lovely piece of music that happens to have all types of different sort of drum patterns on it, but it still, ha- re- re- like, maintains this organic uh, musical feel that also doesn't get too musical and and, and, and faffy, you know? Yeah. Like, it, you know what I mean? Yeah, high contrast are very good at that, and the whole
0: hospital records and all, all those kind of—I think they call it liquid or
3: yeah. Liquid. There's a million
0: different names for it, but um, yeah. there's there's something really nice about the musicality of it all. When I was listening to the the track earlier, I haven't heard it in many years, so thanks for bringing that back into yeah. my life. Um, and it's just—it's a beautiful piece of music. And what's really nice about it is it it kind of does all the things you want from that. Type of music, you know, it it gives you the big lifts and the big drops and the hands in the air yes. and all that sort of stuff, but it doesn't use the usual tricks. You know, right. there's not like a big long bush no. you know, or any of that, or a sudden like wop 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 or whatever. Right. You know, it's a, it is a musical rush. Do you know what I mean? And it, and it's quite subtle the way they use those breaks and the way mm. like as it as it comes off the intro, and then there's the little building part. The, yes, there's a break that continues. It's like it doesn't stop. It's not like, right. you know, a, a lot of tunes would stop and have this dramatic bit and then bang back in yes. with a beat. Actually, the beat keeps going. It rolls along and then when it comes back in, it's just about the timing of it all and it brings inertia to the mm. whole feeling of, of the music. I mean, it's, it's a really, really right. good record, let must say.
3: And the way that he's chopped the samples up as well, he's chopped like this uh, vocal sample at the start and mm. it's just a... It's just his ears are very keen when it comes down to tiny little elements to sample you know and and that's what I really appreciate because I I, I, he's one of the artists actually that I know everything he sampled when he puts the record out (laughs) so so it's like I know what you've done and and so that makes me excited even more to see how he sort of flipped the tune but um, you you sort of you can see the engine behind it right (laughs) <laughs> yeah and that excites me
1: well let's get on to your third choice then because you've kind of come back around to uh, you know what you were talking about being able to make with the new record label um, right. you picked a, a sort of soul disco track from Roy Ayers called Chicago tell us how this one fits in
3: this was one of those tunes that uh, that I had on a tape this guy this um you know these these guys you meet and the, they they suddenly become really influential in your in hindsight mm. you think shit that guy from college that I only hung out for for a month <laughs> he gave me these tapes you know yeah and it was this guy who was a bit older than me and, he, and I guess it, the soul soul jazz uh, scene was popping off a bit when it, I, I I believe it was sort of either you were a reggae. Sound clash man, or you're a a soul jazz, f- so you know jazz funk guy. Yeah, um and I think this was sort of like big around that, but I I I didn't know about it from that. I just knew it from a tape of my friend, mm. um and uh, it, it was always. It's always been there, <laughs> you know. Like, oh, it's always there. It's always like the records. Oh, it's there. It, you know, one of those records that no matter where you file it, it ends up just there all the time. Yeah. There's there's, a, there's there's these weird records that do that. You know, like, how's that there? I just thought I put that there. <laughs> they it's surfaced always,
1: back up by themselves. <laughs> yeah.
3: It's like this, these magic records, and <laughs> yeah. it, that. So. I absolutely love it and I haven't got any sort of like old school connection to it in, in terms of like playing it in a dance or, yeah. or hearing it from a cool, from Norman Jay or anything like that. But um, all of my friends sort of know that I just constantly play this.
0: Lovely those things when you get, um, you know, back in the day, you, you, music was a lot harder to get, let's be honest, you know, back, back in the day. Yeah. You know, it was expensive and it was physical. And, you know, if you couldn't, you know, where I live, for example, you couldn't buy hip hop or you couldn't buy right. most of the electronic techno no. stuff that I liked as well. And you, know, you had to go to Coventry or London to get these things. So it's a, right. it a big outing to do these things. But like you say, occasionally you'd find someone, normally, like you know, someone that may be a, a little bit older. These people will drop these tapes, and sometimes right. those tapes just become your best friend, don't they? You know, they yeah. stick with you. That that summer, man, when I got that compilation off Barry, right. In fact, me, that was good. You know,
3: <laughs> yeah. And the, and I don't know if you're like me, but you it's, you try and then recreate them and find. I try and re, I've been trying to recreate these sort of like distant memories of like mm. maybe maybe they didn't exist, but I I, I can. It's almost like when I hear Chicago, I know what the next tune is. Next yeah. tune is uh, music is is my sanctuary. You know oh, that brilliant tune. Yeah, Gary Gavertz. Yeah. yeah. When this tune nears the end, that tune just pops into my head straight away because it was where it was where my friend put the tune. I want to hear
0: this tape. (laughs) This guy,
3: (laughs) it was this amazing. (laughs) It's Duncan from my art school. (laughs) Big up Duncan. Duncan, Big up. (laughs)
1: Big
3: up Dunks, man.
1: I love that. I love it as well. Like with cassettes, yeah. Like in in my school, you'd have a cassette that, that someone had made for someone else and then you'd get a lend of it and it would be someone else's turn with the tape and then you'd have it right. for a week and yeah like every single crackle and every little crease on the on the tape would you you'd remember and it's the same for me like I know exactly what you mean. You hear a song now and you expect an extract to be coming out. I guess because our brains were sort of plastic at that time. Mm. And we were so, like you say, music was kind of less accessible. So anytime you could get your hands on something, you just listen to it to death. Mm. You know?
3: I would, I would uh, listen to tapes that perhaps weren't that good. Mm-hmm. But I'd, try, I'd listen to them. I remember listening to this Professor Griff album. To, to, mm. he, who was the guy from Public Enemy that left yeah. and he put out his solo album and I was so into hip hop I thought I'm going to get this Professor Griff album mm-hmm. and I would listened to it and I listened to it for about a week two weeks almost non-stop before I it was shit you know it was crap <laughs> <laughs> but I, but it, it, it would probably you'd give more time to crappier stuff as well yeah. And, yeah. and sort of like get really get into it and really sort of yeah because it was quite rare.
1: And some music needs that. And you're spending your money on it as well. You're just right. like, what am I missing here? I've invested in this.
0: Yeah, no, that's a big one. If, you, if you're if you going to... I used to look at the... You know, you see the tracks on the on the Same vinyl. Here. Same here. Same and I, I remember buying um, Talking Heads uh, album, the one with Once in a Lifetime on, right. and uh, I'd never really heard that kind of itchy funk that's on the other side. Do you know what I mean? I'd love the single, but I, I, I put on the other side. And the first track, I think it's Cross-Eyed and Painless, is this weird, itchy, funky record. And it's, it's quite long, you know what I mean? And I remember looking at the band on the on the record and thinking, oh, fuck, that's like 25p, man.
3: Yeah, I know. So, <laughs> <laughs> I, I did the same thing. I did the same thing for um when CDs came out, right? Thought, I'm gonna buy a CD. Right? I'm gonna go to our price and I'm gonna buy a CD. And I was looking at the CDs and there was what was it? It was something pretty good I was looking at, but then I thought then I saw uh, BD Peak, uh, mm. Boogie Down Productions album called Edutainment. Oh, And that had, that had 32 <laughs> tracks on it. <laughs> <laughs> and that was my reasoning. It's like, it's fun. It's, it's brilliant. It's, you get 32 of them. Yeah. 32 things.
1: It was thing. back in the day. And, but I guess that's kind of, you know, that's where the thinking came that you were going to get free records if you set up a magazine. Oh
3: man, I used to. I used to go to our price, get buy a tape, Uh, bring it back, tape it, take it back. Said, uh, and uh, with the receipt, the same day. Do you know what? That's the wrong thing. Can I get another one? Yeah, sure, mate. Can I exchange it? Yeah, here's another one. Do that as much as as much as I can get away with it.
0: So you come into my shop, I'd have you. pegged you. <laughs> we used to watch out for people like you. Not yeah, here, he comes. Yeah, it's the third cassette this week, mate. Don't give him a I refund. <laughs> but, but I mean, you know, the balls.
1: Yeah, this is. Yeah, it's yeah. I <laughs> you've it got
0: the t- hustle all over.
1: Yeah, <laughs> everything
0: you've done has just been like hustle after hustle. You're yeah, 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 yeah. a man yeah. the move.
1: <laughs> I used to phone. I used to torture the pirate radio DJs by phoning them up and asking them to play tracks so I could tape them off the radio. I'd get. I'd make my own mixtapes by forcing radio DJs. Oh, did, they
3: ever, <laughs> did they do it?
1: <laughs> yeah, because it they? was like this little pirate radio station in Dublin, yeah. and I mean, I'm sure they found me very annoying, but I was oblivious to that. <laughs>
3: <laughs> no, no That's you, that's what I was like at that age Just like annoying. you're totally un, unaware <laughs> yeah. Of how annoying you, you're being to somebody Until they give up the good yeah. Then you go, it's simple it's Yeah, exactly, simple. give me
1: what I want And I'll leave you alone know. for now Wow, yeah, exactly. I
3: wish I was more like that now <laughs>
1: We're far too self aware, yeah.
3: I think I think I'm so much like that then. I've I've gone the other way now.
1: Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Hyper conscious of it. I, I'm so appreciative, by the way, uh, uh for you coining the term electrophobe. I feel like I relate to that so much. because I, I, I still <laughs> can't get an into electrophobe? I still no. can really? get it. I'm not I just I I just can't get that into house music. As soon as something goes a bit housey, maybe I need to go on a big drugs bender. And That'll definitely renovation. help. That's <laughs> the only way. That's the only way. Someone That's... needs to take me to Fabric. Yeah, well... Yeah,
3: oh,
0: man. There's no seats there, Anne. I've, I've been through this with you before. You've got, you've got <laughs> no one to sit down. You won't like
3: it. It's yeah, not going to thing. Yeah, you but
1: know, if I'm on a bender, maybe I won't need to sit down. It's not territory.
3: Well, you might. You'd get there and it's like 20. Like, even now. I mean, I just feel now I've been to... So many of those types of places Mm. right in the last 20 years of sort of DJing that I'm happy to now make a jazz record with Omar, you know? (laughs) Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, why not, why not?
3: Yeah, and sort of like really chill out now. Yeah. Mm. I've definitely had my my fair share of staring at bass speakers.
1: (laughs) Well, maybe this is the moment where they're going to bring sofas into fabric
3: and yeah, and can then just you'd be like listen to
1: jazz records with, with you know I' oh Can wow. you
3: imagine? I heard David oh, man. Mancuso DJ at fabric once. Oh wow. Um, wow. the loft loft guy Yeah, it was, yeah. It was wild, like I didn't I didn't know this, but um he plays the record all the way to the end, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then it fades out.
1: And everyone claps. And,
3: well they didn't yeah, oh, like, um, there. Like, the <laughs> it was like the weirdest thing. <laughs> Like, and, I, and I remember being on the balcony going, it's fading, thinking it's fading out. Oh, my God, it's fading out. Oh, my God. He's, he's lost it. He's lost the crowd. What's going on? No, but it was, but
0: it was quite powerful, he had, actually. Yeah. yeah. And he, he only had one deck in his loft parties, I heard. You know, And I remember years right. ago, I went to see uh, Jar Shaka play. Right. I thought, I, I had no idea who Jar Shaka was. And I thought it was a band. So I was expecting a band. Mm. And this man came in. Um, with it, with a little wooden record box, like the kind I, I grew up with, playing playing my tunes on. Yeah. And uh, he set he set that up and started playing these reggae things, and, you know. And he only had the one deck, so I thought, well, it can't possibly be him. <laughs> you know? right. And as the night went on and the music got better and better, and the sound system was basically being built around him, and by the end of it, I was going, this man's a Genius. He's, he's not doing any mixing and he's absolutely killing it. Everyone's yeah. going crazy for it. And he's just like, you know, what, sometimes he, the record would get halfway through and he go, oh, i bored of that. Like, <laughs> just take it off. Right.
3: I think there's Amazing. a, I think there's a, I think there's a sort of happy medium between mm. that. And, you know, I, I've seen so many, DJs who are like DMC champions just flop mm. at parties. Yeah, and I've yeah. seen guys that can't mix for shit and then rocking it. Mm. And and it's just about people can get way too technical with DJing, you know. Yeah, yeah. Says I, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say you you got some form in that department.
0: Uh, so.
3: <laughs> yes, yeah, so like but. I'm just, I'm just sort of remembering when I was going to clubs just as a punter and just thinking, could you stop missing out <laughs> with the fucking record, man? <laughs> but there was also moments, though, that I found as a DJ, I was speaking to my friend the other day about this, Like we were talking about, like, sort of... It's about sort of sometimes su- totally subverting what the audience Mm. expects. But if you get it right, um, you've now played something that they didn't expect that's even better than the thing they thought was the best thing they'd ever heard. right. And so they're not annoyed you've stopped it. They're just sort of blown away about the the transition, about what's Mm. just happened. And as a DJ, knowing that you're going to do that and, and sort of having that work, not forcing it but like just thinking of something quite left field and dropping that out of the blue and it just smashing it yeah yeah that's what that's what it's all about and i think maybe that's just the selection isn't it yeah doing it in a cool way is good fun too but you don't need to do that i think that the, the first step is always your
0: library isn't it it's what you've got in your bag you know and if you've got good tunes then you you can rock a party as well as anyone in the world if your tunes are the right tunes at the right time. Do you know what I mean? And mm. if you if you can do that and you know scratch it up and mix it in like you do, you know that then you you're double killing it and it's all good. Right. I've got to say, um, talking to you today has been really brilliant, and I think oh, my
3: pleasure.
0: I, I've heard so many strands of that like, I can really identify with in terms of like the 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 enthusiasm. And the kind of the the geeky need and find that record, and the the kind of just yes. obs- the minor, s- slight mental illness obsession that you get <laughs> yes. when you, when
3: you really find one of those records or uh, or one of those tunes. I it's- think I think it's a possibly. I don't want to get bring bring us down here, but I do think that it's not just to for us down. Like, I think that uh, I think that we anyone who is a, totally obsessed with that sort of. Um, uh, blinkered obsession with, about music. Mm. I'm sure there's a name for that somewhere. I'm not a, I'm not a <laughs> doc, doctor or anything, but I'm sure that sort of obsessive thing of you must have done something where you've. I know I've done mad ones where I've swapped a record instead of like I've I've gone and hunted for a record when I know I should have been doing something else, but I didn't oh, really yeah. didn't care. Like and and. Um, i'm sure yeah i'm just saying I, many times it there. was many
0: times i made the choice between eating and buying
3: vinyl and i yes. always bought
0: the vinyl do you know what yeah I mean? that, and that's not an exaggeration that is like no when you're young and you're you're an Same. idiot you, you can live on weetabix for four days that's fine as long as you get the new public yeah, enemy but album it's that,
3: yeah it's the edwin bird song album that you've been <laughs> trying to find <laughs> for uh, do you know what i mean yeah. for six months
1: yeah, no, I mean, and it's the same thing, like you were saying before, the the impact that it has on you. And like songs that you might have to avoid or skip to during the day because you're just like, I don't have time to deal with that emotion right now. Yeah, <laughs> right. to something else.
3: <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. I, I, I was less sort of emotional then, I think. Okay. Now I have to be very careful what I listen yeah. to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, the same.
0: Well, it's, uh, brilliant choices. Thank you so much for talking to us today. It's absolutely yeah, my pleasure. Fabulous. I really enjoyed that conversation. And I think I'm going to... I'm going to go and indulge myself in my in my record collection now because you've you fired me up. I want to I want to make a mixtape. I'm going to, I'm going to dig out the tape player. I'm going to do a pause mixtape. Yeah, yes. yeah, pause band mixtape.
3: Let's all do one. Yes, sounds bring good. It back and bring it back next week.
1: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's right, works. Oh, Jack, thank you so much for speaking to us. It's really been a pleasure.
3: Yes, yeah. yeah, no problem. I hope uh, yeah Chicago, we didn't I
1: No it's, it's, it's perfect. perfect. Nice. <laughs> Alright guys. Chicago, where can I go? What
3: you gonna do? What you gonna do? What you gonna do? What you gonna do?
1: What you gonna do in Chicago? What you gonna do in
4: Chicago? What you gonna do? In
1: As my mum used to say to my sister and I when we were sitting around on the sofa watching TV on the summer holidays do you know what you could do for me do you know what you could do for us if you like this podcast you could subscribe to it you could leave us a lovely review on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is you're listening but most of all what we would love you to do for us is share the podcast with someone you love who you think would love the pod share it privately or you can post about it on social media tag us at what goes pod if you want to send us an email you can email us what goes pod at gmail.com just spread the love we would love to spread the love Love, because we love you very much. Known as Chicago. Known as
4: Chicago. Known as Chicago. Known as Chicago. Chicago, Chicago. What you do when you meet Chicago?